Hey guys, welcome to Slash Report. My name is Prue, and this week I'm super excited, even though we're a tad late, um, we needed some time to process. Uh, I am joined by MK, my partner in crime. Hi. And Lepagus, my... Hello. Hi. <laughs> we have a special guest here with us this week, Ayaleska. Hello. Hey. Who we've known each other since, like, the dark depths of anime fandom. I love how she's just silent. She doesn't even know what's <laughs> She's to talk about it. Well, I could dig up all the dirt I have on you for that. No, let's go. Let's go toe-to-toe. I must have some dirt, too. I don't know where it is. But <laughs> okay. um, this is a mutually assured destruction situation that we should probably avoid. It's right. Yes, no, yes, we're all it is. here because I wanted to gather up a group of people with diverse backgrounds, interests, and particular viewpoints of Star Trek. Because this week, we are talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. Cumber batch. Sorry. <laughs> good, good. Already starting strong. Yeah, we, we just want to keep the shit classy all the time. So, who wants to give us a quick rundown of the plot of this movie? Other than me, because we've, as evidenced, I'm terrible at it. Yeah, I'm gonna vote Gus. What? Yes. <laughs> Fucking goddamn it! All right. <laughs> You're a grown-up, Gus. You can do it. <laughs> I refute that with body and soul. You know what? I'm actually really terrible at this, because I've only seen it once, and I'm sitting here I going, take, I can take over if you want. Yes, please do. Please, please do. I, her out of I'm sitting here going, I don't even know what. All right. Go Okay, for it. sure. And I don't usually give very detailed summary, so, okay. That's but right. Second movie. detailed one. <laughs> right. Second movie in the series, you open with, uh, essentially, Kirk and Bones doing shenanigans on an alien planet. Which, and by the way, is still the greatest part of that movie for me. It is. It was so great. Um, I kept thinking it was a test, actually, but no, it was real. So they're doing... They're, they're fucking shit up, not on purpose, and they're trying to run away from a bunch of aliens while not, you know, alerting them to the fact that they have a starship because Prime Directive. And in the meantime, Spock on another trip of this planet, or rather on the Enterprise, which is under the sea on the planet, I guess they just had a budget they hadn't spent already. Um, and while Kermbo's are fucking things up, Spock is trying to neutralize the volcano, and then he drops in, but things are things go wrong, and he's basically going to die. And to rescue him will break the Prime Directive. You're not supposed to do that because you're supposed to let civilizations develop on their own or die on their own as things may turn out. And Kirk goes, ah, fuck that, and pulls the Enterprise up, rescue Spock, they fly off home. Then they both get hauled in front of Pike, you know, Jimmy T, you are an asshole, and I'm taking your ship away from you. So that happens. And as this is happening, as you already said, suspiciously timely, um, this guy named John Harrison saves a kid with something you can't see, but then causes a library to explode in, in London, right? Yes. Yeah, it was in London. I was sad to see that the London Eye did not fall over during the scene, by the way. <laughs> I could look I was expected to. I was looking for the gherkin being like, okay, is this actually London? I think that it was in there, but they actually did. I have to say, like, they did a really beautiful job of transforming the city in a semi-organic way. And when I looked at it, the everything from the coloring to the skyline was instantly recognizable to me as London, but just like a very different version <laughs> of it than we know now. Yeah, and Gus, right. I double-checked, so, too. The gherkin is definitely there. Oh, excellent. <laughs> the dildo is still there. That's yeah, great. Yeah, so the giant weird-shaped penis was definitely still there. My eye went to it like a radar. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I was drinking when I saw this movie, so. Of course you were. <laughs> that's, that's how you should see it. 
Yes. Anyways, yes. So, so, uh, so Admiral Pike manages to get Kirk reinstated as first officer, and so they're in this meeting talking about it, and apparently everyone else except Kirk has their thumbs up their ass because Kirk is like, wait, why would he blow up a library? Conveniently, at that point, the meeting is invaded by this John Harrison character, um, and then invaded is a really gentle word for the way that he has some sort of helicopter that shoots death bullets at everyone. <laughs> like, he just murders entire, the entire... He fucks all the shit up, and it's amazing. He murders yes. the entire Admiralty. And the only people who basically survive this shit show are... Um, who is the guy who actually heads up the fleet and turns out to be the... Marcus. Old Mar- General, General Marcus. General Marcus. Oh, yeah, General. Yeah, that. We have yeah, um, incidents of man crying. Yes, and, and just, right, and you see Spock there um, holding Pike as he gets a death scene also. Oh, and right, and have we got this point yet that Uhura and Spock are fighting? Because I can't remember when that happened, but it happened. All right, I'm taking this over. I'm taking this over. You this guys is are the worst. Awful. You guys really are pretty <laughs> awful at this. So after everyone dies, um, basically, let's treat this as a September 11th moment for them in the sense that, like, they go from ostensibly trying to maintain their spirit as a peacekeeping discovery force to Admiral Marcus saying that this is clearly some Klingon bullshit because Scotty, in his research of, like, the ruins of John Harrison's ship that attacked Starfleet headquarters, discovers some connection to Klingon space. Whatever. So Marcus takes this opportunity to give Kirk an, um, a mission to go into Klingon space and capture John Harrison. No, murder, kill him. Murder, kill him. Sorry, thank you. Murder him, especially with these very special, like, fucking warheads. Photon torpedoes. Photon torpedoes that, like, that were being developed in London is the line that he feeds them. Kirk, who is angry because his father figure has just died in Spock's arms, uh, that's like, let's do this. Um, they all go. Scotty refuses to log the photon torpedoes onto a ship because he doesn't know what's in them because he's the only person with a fucking moral compass. Um, because in that scene, Jim has already sent Spock to the bridge. He's like, I don't want to talk to you about this right now. Get out of my face. Send Spock to the bridge. So Scotty is the only one left to protest. And then he tenders his resignation because he refuses to let these things onto his bridge because he doesn't know what they might do to the warp core. And it's super adorable and sad. It's wonderful. And then he and Keenzer leave. Well, the best part is he clearly thinks that, like, when he says, then I'll fucking quit, Kirk will be like, you're right, I need you. And instead, Kirk's like, get the fuck off my ship. Yes. Yeah, that was well done. It was yeah, really was pretty, well done. It's pretty, it was great, and it was also really sad. And then some blonde lady shows up and fakes her way onto the ship as well. Um, her name is Carol something. But you'll find out later that she's Carol Marcus. Uh, <laughs> Sounds relevant. It becomes <laughs> because Alice Eve had the most wasted, thankless role in this entire goddamn movie. Um, they go into space. Spock like has a number of fights with Kirk about whether or not like it's right to basically assassinate someone without trial, et cetera, et cetera. You find out that the photon torpedo, like eventually uh, everything boils down. A lot of shit blows up. <laughs> I was gonna say, I love how none of us can actually give a coherent recap. Because there's no that's, that's because that is no better. You can't like, summarize. You can't summarize it's this because it's hot. A bunch of stuff blows up. You find out that the photon torpedoes are actually like members of Khan's race who are like in stasis. 
Well, you find out John Harrison is Khan. You do find out that John Harrison is Khan. A scene Tell like freeze, which I was completely like. I think you had told me about that before the movie started, right? And you didn't believe it. I didn't. Yeah, it. it was a rumor that they. So people had been saying like a few months before, "Oh my God, I think he's Khan," and there was a blow up, and then. But like I, everyone had said in the beginning when they said they were making the second movie, everyone was like, "Oh, they're probably going to do Wrath of Khan," and then they were just vehemently like, "We're not doing Khan. We're not doing Khan." Yeah, they're like, "No, no, it's John Harrison. It's not Khan. Totally, we swear to God." And you know and what? Then, I don't mind them. Re- like a lot of people are really mad at them for continually rehashing stuff. I don't even mind that they're rehashing it. Like, I obviously like fanfic. If J.J. Abrams wants to write really expensive fanfic, I am A-okay with that. Like, don't (laughs) fucking lie to me. Like, I'm some sort of, like, slow child. Like, I'm going to figure it out. Like, somehow, like, I'm going to feel the betrayal of you being like, it's caught. Um, but no, I was going to say, that's, that's, that's a conversation for later in the yeah. podcast. But basically, right now, you have finished the, the summer. <laughs> the summer. Right. Basically, it concludes in that we have the Wrath of Khan scene in the end where, like, almost everything has slowed down or whatever. And it's reversed. So that Jim Kirk, who has been sort of, like, this young upstart prodigal son, has never really truly understood the weight of responsibility, gets it goes into the warp core, saves everybody, dies, and has the Wrath of Khan scene with Spock, only, like, this time it's Jim dying. Then Spock, understandably, who has some, like, repressed rage issues, um, goes on, like, a great chase scene through downtown San Francisco. Like, my favorite part of this movie, other than, like, Jim and Bones running through that field, was, like, Spock picking up a metal thing and wrapping his fist around it so he could, like, beat the living shit out of Benedict Cumberbatch's face. And I was like, yes, this pleases me. Yeah, but it's really great when you look at them staring at each other because you're like, gosh, they look really similar, don't they? Like, really <laughs> similar. Why yeah. wasn't he yeah, Cybok? Yeah, Pennant and Cumberbatch would have made a really good Cybok. Right? I'm going to totally that. I'm going to, you know what, I may, like, just rewrite the second movie out of Rage. Like, <laughs> so basically, in the end, of course he doesn't die. Like, there was a random, meaningful film tribble that got brought back to life by John Harrison's blood later, earlier. Right here, I'm right. I'm just going to cut it and say there's a plot thread that gets introduced randomly and badly, which is that John Harrison has super blood. Yes. Like, he, he cured a terminally ill little child in the first scene. And then Bones... Purchase her father's cooperation in blowing up the London headquarters of Starfleet. Right. And Bones, for whatever fucking reason, decides to resurrect a triple using John Harrison's blood. Yep. And then he used it to also resurrect uh, James Kirk. So apparently we have solved the problem of death in this universe. That is correct. And as as a fiction writer, I think the next movie should be all about, like, you know, zombies being resurrected and stuff in Starfleet. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, I hope, I hope Jim Kirk is a zombie. That would be the best. I'd be okay with that. So basically the question now, now that we've like gone through the torturous exercise of trying to explain what actually happens in this story. You failed miserably, but sorry. You've seen it. In conclusion, boom, um, gay. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, so how does this, how does this stand up to the original Wrath of Khan, the two people who have strong feelings about original Wrath of Khan? Uh, I don't have strong feelings about it, actually. I, to me, it's so different that it might as well just be, you know, he just copy-pasted the names onto his characters. Like, this is not Khan. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's actually how I feel about it. I can't be offended because it's not much of a remake. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Because, like, I've I've seen Space Seed and I've seen Wrath of Khan. Right. And, like, there's no, like, just 
the attempt to kind of like graph some of the personality traits of Ricardo Montalban, who was amazing as Khan. Um, yes. Just it doesn't it doesn't work with Benedict Cumberbatch just because they're too, he he well first of all he didn't even try to like pay homage to what uh, Montalban had done um, and second of all yeah they were completely different characters who happened to share the same name yeah. like my my whole thing of while I was watching it I was like so is there another like eugenics war criminal out okay. there also named there's already a fanfic someone's written where, you know, John Harrison isn't Khan Noon Singh. He's just Khan. So people are already getting on this oh, yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, because it doesn't really make sense as a trope for, or not a trope, as, um, a, he, he doesn't really make sense as a character in this. Um, and I do have really strong feelings about The Wrath of Khan. It's um, my second favorite uh, Star Trek movie after the one about the whales. Um, and, uh, <laughs> shut up, don't look at me. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those movies that's an eighties movies and it's very slow paced and it's not for everyone, but there, there are a lot of questions that they actually talk about in terms of like the nature of vengeance and the, the, um, you know, the self-destructive nature of, uh, rage and things like that and mm-hmm. in this movie they're basically like vengeance is awesome rage is fantastic like there's no consequences for your actions it's all super awesome and i wouldn't go that far like i think the one thing that i did genuinely appreciate in this movie is that you had two people who have extremely worthwhile and very meaningful places in kirk's life being conscientious objectors to him following these fucking orders and like wanting to follow these orders do you know what i mean like that was the part like for all the things i really disliked about this movie i think that i really loved that even though jim kirk did not necessarily like come away with that thought immediately that scotty was like i'm not going to do this i don't understand what this is and that spock was adamantly like you cannot kill a man without giving him trial yeah i I think that that's true but i mean everything that happened subsequently was like proof that Jim was if not right in wanting to murder him at least right in not trusting him or thinking that he was the bad guy there was there was no there was no um I don't know I mean because because Khan betrays Kirk you know in the end I mean it was sudden but inevitable right exactly that's sort of exactly I just figured they were just all waiting for Khan to flip yeah Sure, and but I mean, just, okay, maybe I'm just coming at this from the point of view of, like, it's a summer blockbuster, there's so many tropes that you have to, like, maintain, but I still appreciated the fact that that was, like, an important thread, and it doesn't matter if Khan eventually was going to flip and betray him or whatever, you don't expect rehabilitation, but you do owe every criminal the right to trial, so fine, you can't avoid the inevitable big blow-ups and blowouts on these movies, but you can tell everyone watching this movie that, like, to go into something with the intent of assassinating someone without giving them trial is wrong. Like, and I appreciated that they did that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, but, like, that, that seems like so far from everything else that, like, went wrong on that in that movie that it's, like, you know, yeah, I, mean, I guess. I, I guess, okay, here's my thing. I like that, but I feel that it was used solely as a plot point. Like, it didn't it didn't really 
it would have been more complicated if they had attempted to kill him with quote unquote photon torpedoes. <laughs> Whereas this was like, because, you know, it wouldn't really have, right? You, you would still have him. Torpedoes, like the food, is people. <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying, okay. like, what you, like, what I generally think is that the moral choice should make things harder, not easier. And in this case, it kind of made things easier. Yeah. So I find it really cheap. No, I get what you're saying. Um, But I think it goes back to sort of like the fundamental difference between the reboots and the original series and possibly the movies. I can't really speak to the movies. Um, But that... I'm falling asleep. Yes. But... I mean, tell me that I'm wrong if I am, but, like, isn't the whole premise of the original Star Trek is it's, like, a much more philosophical show, right? Like, it's about discovery and sort of, like, the hard moral questions. And I think that that's what so many people love about it. That's also what made that show fucking unwatchable for me. And it's not necessarily that I'm, like, too dumb to, like, really accept the more difficult questions, but it doesn't make for very good television. No, no, I totally understand. And I think J.J. Abrams struck a pretty decent balance with the first movie. Yeah. But in this one, he was like, I'm just going to write an action film, and then I'll just paste all the character names on. Yeah. Hmm. Like, it wasn't... I, I love fanfic, obviously. And I... I mean, Avengers is fanfic, and everyone loves that. This just wasn't very good fanfic. See, I think that this is, like, this is where I, you know what, like, and I hate that I find myself in a position where I'm, like, suddenly fucking defending this movie, because (laughs) really... I was about to say, I'm really interested to see how you're going to do this, because, yeah. No, I mean, just, like, I I get really annoyed by that, because I feel like The Avengers was a good movie in the sense of, like, it was a lot of fun, but in terms of, like, making more sense, or in terms of having, like, a better moral through line, like, I would never, ever make that claim. Like... I don't think that any real blockbuster like summer Hollywood blah can ever make that claim. I think the difference is that in this movie, they at least tried. Maybe they failed. According to like a panel of like majority experts on. Well, I said nothing about the morals. I thought I was just saying like in terms of how fanfic it felt. Right. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard comparing Avengers to Star Trek because apples and oranges and just the franchises are totally different. That's true. Um, yeah. Star Trek has always been, as you say, you know, a moralizing uh, force. And for a lot of people, that's made it very difficult to watch. And one reason why the first movie was so successful, um, because it, it kind of did away with um, aspect of Star Trek. It, it became very much more action oriented. Um, but this movie, I felt like they didn't try at all. I really don't think that they did. Um, and that, that bothered me because the thing that I responded to in the first movie was whether or not I was actually accurate in feeling this. Um, I felt like a lot of love went into the first movie, right? Into the first movie. There was a lot of affection, you know, JJ Abrams may not have been the biggest, Star Trek fan, but he certainly came into it with enthusiasm. You know, a lot of the a lot of the actors talked about you know how they were either you know diehard Star Trek fans like Carl Urban, or you know they became Star Trek fans, um, and so that was a lot of fun. And in this one, there just didn't feel like there was any affection whatsoever. It was very paint by numbers. I felt the affection in the opening scene on the alien planet. <laughs> Yeah, but yes. pretty much everything after that, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of dumb." Like at the time, I was emotionally excited watching it. Like we walked out of that theater, and we were all like, "That was amazing!" I'm so amped, whatever. And then, like two days later, I was like, "Wait a minute, no, that sucked." <laughs> <laughs> what? Like 
I still don't think it sucked. Like, I came out of that movie, like, more pumped, and I had more fun at that movie than I did at any other movie I've seen, like, this summer. And mm-hmm. it's, like, so, like, I have so many fucking problems with it. But, like, <laughs> there are so many pieces and set pieces of that movie that I just, like, enjoyed the living shit out of. Like, that opening scene is, like, the greatest depiction of the Prime Directive. Yes, I love how they, like, every- the Enterprise in the sand. I just burst out laughing at that. I just, like, cried laughing, and it was basically, like, because you have a feel, you have, like, an intellectual understanding of, like, the purpose, meaning, and, like, whatever of the Prime Directive. But then you, like, watch it in action, you're like, okay, I see this now, I get it. It's, it's fully underlined. <laughs> I was going to say, and- part- yeah. sorry, no, no, keep going. Oh, and the other part that I really enjoyed was that um, when Kirk tried to, like, throw that argument in Pipe's face, he's like, so what? Did you just want me, like, an entire planet full of people are going to die? Spock was down there. Like, should I just let Spock die? And Kirk's, and Pipe's response was like, your stupid asses shouldn't have been on that planet to begin with. You were supposed to fucking survey it. And, like, it's a hard job. And if you're not willing to fucking do that, then you shouldn't be captain of the fucking enterprise. And I'm <laughs> like, you go, mm, you four for you, Glenn Coco. Like, I love you. Admiral Pike. Say, well, and this is your dirty old man crush talking. This is not I think just my dirty old man crush talking. Dude, Although, oh my God, like, you too. In that case, I'll definitely link you that McCoy Pike Cooker fic. What? Yes. Yeah. Just what? one. I think like, but it exists. Opened up. I'll That's link it to all of you. So happy. I, I like you. This, you should say she's a good egg uh, but yeah so i mean i think that now that we've sort of like gotten into the contentious part of this movie it's we have to talk about like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> i like how that's your intro what Just, the there fuck are, there are multiple what the fuck moments oh so many where do you want to begin how about the mind rape uh the, the mind rape is bad um let's talk about like the completely this like was actually like infuriating in the theater like um, the completely gratuitous Carol Marcus underwear scene. Oh my um, god! Where like normally I saw it like pre-opening night or something crazy like that. I saw it like really early. And generally speaking, whenever there's like a fun scene like that, I remember I went to see the original track. Remember when um, Kirk was with Gyla and that scene? Like people who didn't yeah. tolerate it was sexy. It was funny. Yeah. yeah. This scene in my theater was dead silent. With people just yeah. being like, uh, what? Not like, only was it dead silent in my theater, I was sitting next to a six-year-old, and she was confused. Ooh. Yeah, it's, like, why would you put that in the fucking movie? That's horrible. There was no reason to have it in there. Oh, of course there was a reason. There was a reason of, we want to appeal to 12-year-old boys rather than anybody else. It was gross. Like, that scene was just gross. It yeah, made it's me so really like, I love pretty ladies. That's fine, but, you know, it was just so, oh, let me show off this woman for no good reason. It had no- and I was going to say, and there were so many different ways that they could have done it. Like, she could have just actually been somebody who was, like, who didn't even say turn around. She was just like, I got to get, you know, into this and do to yeah. do and, like, just yeah. go. Yeah. And having her be like, she's a badass and whatever, a you know. Like, better, yeah. You're exactly right, Lovegas. Like, a much better version of that scene is if she had just gotten into the thing, started stripping, and as he realizes what's happening, he turns around, which would have yes. made that scene right. funny and still sexy and tell us something nice about Kirk. And exactly. instead, I was yes. like, oh. told us something really, like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say rapey about Kirk, but it was really, like, it was just gross. It was creepy. It was creepy and gross, and it's like, I'm sorry, I understand that you really super want Kirk to be, like, your, I don't know, Mary Sue type of guy who, like, sleeps with cat women all over the place, but, like, you don't have to do this. 
Yeah, you already, like, if you wanted to talk about, like, his, like, banging everything that moves, you already had him in bed with twin cat ladies, which I was just like, you know what, fuck it, whatever, I'm just gonna let that one ride. Like, this was just deep, it's, there's other stuff going on. Like, Carol Marcus was not exactly wearing, like, a burqa beforehand, you know? Like, she had, like, a fucking mini skirt, and, like, she's gorgeous anyways. Like, why did you need to do that? Like, and this is the thing that we're talking about more than anything about Carol Marcus now, which sucks because her character is, like, a fucking weapons engineer. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. She figures everything out, and it becomes nothing but an underwear scene. Yeah, and she has, like, the moral fortitude to stand up to her father. Like, there's a lot of things going for her, but, like, completely overshadowed by this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, I think it speaks to a lot of a lot of the, the, the stupidity of the way that sex is presented in this movie anyway. Because Carol Marcus then has a conversation about um, Chapel, Christine Chapel, who is a fan favorite, who everybody mm-hmm. like at Everyone least knows. Assumed she was on the show. Like, yeah, people write it in, and it was like, oh, so we're finally gonna get to see her, and like she's gonna be some random badass lady in the background. It'll be great. Nope. And no, she's a fucking joke. And you know, and like the writers have said, you know, oh, we did that deliberately because we thought it was really hilarious, and it was like, fuck but- you. They really lost, like, everything that I loved in the first one, I just felt like most of that was missing. Yeah. Well, most yeah. of that, I feel like, was accidental. Yeah. Like, it's, it's again, I, I don't remember if it was Prue and I had this conversation, but I had this conversation with somebody where sometimes when you're watching a show or when you're watching a movie, you have that moment of kind of, I don't know, disconnect where you realize that the movie that they made that they're intending for you to see and the movie that you're watching and, like, appreciating are very two different. completely different things. Well, I think that exactly. you did talk about how it seems like this movie in particular was, like, if it was enjoyable, it was because of the acting and the production and stuff yeah. like that, and not necessarily the intent of the writers. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it, it was enjoyable despite the writers. Or yeah. despite oh, yes. the actors and the producers. Like, yeah, just like also I really like. Yeah. But I mean, these are the writers and directors who, like, literally for the first movie were like, oh, no, this is a totally feminist movie. Our wives read the script and thought it was great. Like, literally, that was their defense. And it was like, okay. Ooh, <laughs> this didn't is know that. Wow. Well, yeah. if you listen to the DVD commentaries, um, oh. it's really funny because, I mean, like, I'm not as angry at them as... Lepagus is like I nobody's as angry <laughs> no like I just I don't have it in me and I also just like I there are other things in the world that matter about so basically like there's this one moment in the DVD commentaries for the first movie and I'm going to be very curious to listen to the commentaries for the second one um where in the scene where Jim is being born and the Kelvin is exploding J.J. Abrams and whoever else he's on there with are talking about how like they were worried how they were going to make a movie like Trek appeal to like of their many challenges when they were putting this film together they were like well it's not just that we wanted to appeal to the old school Trek fans um we wanted to appeal to new fans and we also wanted to appeal to like the new fans like and their girlfriends and like women who may not have originally wanted to watch like a movie like this you know that just it didn't appeal to them so when we were in the screenings and I like my wife had been dragged along with me and she was watching the scene with like Kirk and Winona and how much Winona loves Kirk. Like, and she starts crying a little, like I knew we had done okay. And I was like, that's not like, it's not a horrible way to look at it. Like granted that there are a lot of women who would like track with or without you finding an emotional component to put in there, but it's not wrong. 
to like be conscientiously attempting to appeal to like a, a fraction of the audience that you wouldn't have had before. The problem is that like they seem to have completely forgotten about that in any sort of rational human way for this movie. Yeah. Because there was nothing about that, th- about this latest movie that indicated any intent to appeal to like me as a lady. Yeah. Well, and also I'm going to say, and I have problems with the whole idea of, you know, women, women love pregnancy and therefore that scene should have appealed to women. Cause like I've talked to my fair share of dudes and they all cried like, you know, children. And uh, everybody I'm cried. cried. I that scene. If you didn't, you're dead inside. Yeah, you're a robot or Prue. Hey, okay. you're kind of a robot. I. Shut she up. loves robots. Remember? Not like That's that. True. Yeah, you you uh, always like that. Robots. You're not actually a robot. I'm sorry. That was defamation of character. I apologize. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like they, they just it felt like they they thought somehow like that they had done enough feminism <laughs> in the first movie. And so they, <laughs> So that's like, that was the first what the fuck moment that came to mind. The second one, it becomes like, I think the best way to frame it is the John Cho, like subtle bitterness tour. (laughs) Oh yes. I loved it. John Cho. Particularly subtle. In case you guys missed this, uh, uh, listeners, if you go back and listen to a lot of the press junket stuff done by John Cho, and this is prior to the movie's release and prior to us figuring out who Benedict Cumberbatch was playing, he keeps making these snide, hilarious, undermining, passive-aggressive comments about casting minorities and whitewashing in movies. And then all of it makes sense when you go to the film and realize that they cast the whitest human alive And then then he used makeup to make him whiter. Yeah. His name is Khan, and they whited up Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, they just... It's like putting me in a white bed sheet. (laughs) Like, (laughs) come on. It's a bad idea. Just a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, John Show got a lot less subtle after the movie got released, because... He, he actually went up on TV and said, yeah, the original Kong was great. Also, a man of color. Yeah. yeah. It's kind and, of like... And cue everybody else kind of nervously laughing, um, but uh, but with good reason. Like, I'm I'm glad that he was there to kind of do that because it, it was clear that nobody else in the main cast felt comfortable doing that. Yeah. I'm not sure even John Cho felt comfortable doing it, but... But, I mean, it, he's the only one who could. Yeah. Basically. So... And I mean, to, the, the the problem with the whitewashing is that it's, other than J.J. Um, Abrams and the studio, it's very hard to kind of blame people because Benedict Cumberbatch actually accepted the role without knowing who he was playing. Um, they they were like, oh, do you want to do you want to play the villain? And he was like, well, can I see some scripts? And they were like, no. I was like, well, can I know what the name is? And they were like, no. So he was kind of, I mean, I don't, think that he was a bad person for accepting the Yeah, story. and I don't, I never blame act- actors for taking work, because yeah, exactly. what do you expect them to do? Not work? Yeah. So... But I, I feel like in particular, this, like, and I mean, I am one of those people who, like, it, this just does not crawl up my ass that badly. Like, whenever people get really upset about, like, whitewashing and, like, racial issues, like, I generally am just like, I'm like, the, I don't have the energy for this. Like, I live in a, I live in the reality where like I have to deal with racism on a constant basis. So like I have other problems. 
versus Mm -hmm. getting pissed about it on Tumblr. But like Mm -hmm. this particular case was so offensive to me, not just because it's the most well-known of the Trek villains. So like literally everyone knows that this is a character that that was originally portrayed by an actor of color, right? Mm -hmm. It's the optics of it. So the whole right. premise is that Khan is from the, like, a supreme force of more perfect creatures. And well, he, he was, he was, right, he was, in, he's, like, genetically engineered. Right, in the original, right, stronger. Scientists took the best bits of everyone on Earth and made a guy, and the guy was not white. Right, and it was Khan. So, like, you know what? Like, if you didn't have the backstory where, like, this was the reality, like, the villain was Khan, he was not white, he was, like, a more perfect version of humanity. But it makes sense, right, that, like, increased genetic diversity creates, like, whatever. You can science it all you want. But, like, the reality is that we already know in our fanish consciousness and, like, in the history of this film that you had, like, the villain who was, like, a a genetically superior creature is a person of color. And then like you reboot this in 2013 and you decide to whitewash that. Like, what is that telling me right now? Like, what are the optics of that saying that in the, in the, what, what year was this movie made? The original con movies, like the eighties. Well, space seed, which, which was the very first thing of um, con was 1960s. Okay. So like 82 is when the original con Con came out. Great. So like in the sixties, we were more, we were more racially enlightened than the casting director of well, this movie. Well, Roddenberry was, I would like to say. And he fought really hard for it. But I yeah. just don't understand how, like, anyone thought this was a good idea. Like, what? why did you not see that I was, like, going to have, like, a fucking meltdown about this? And I don't, I genuinely am never the person who has the meltdown about this. I was about to say, and I've heard rumors, and I don't know if this makes it better or worse. Um, I'm leaning towards both. Okay. <laughs> But I've heard that um, the person who was originally cast for it was... Oh, shit. Now, of course, I've forgotten his name. Uh, oh, yeah. There was a guy, and he had to, like, go, and they just pulled Benny in at the last second, right? Yeah, that was the rumor. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch was a last-minute replacement for a guy who is um, Latino, still not Indian. Um, he was the first guy was Latino, so whatever, yeah. I guess. <laughs> True. Well, I was about to say, um, but, um, but yeah, so, so, yeah, so it was kind of a last-minute casting but at the same time that doesn't really yeah you can last in a cast benicio any actor del- of color you feel like what the hell i mean like yeah. it was benicio del toro who was supposed to originally play con apparently what and now like, that i now that i'm re- rethinking this i'm like visualizing benicio del toro in my head i feel like he would have had like the actual pathos to carry off that character he would have had the gravitas yeah. the, the the whole thing about con um even in the original like the the, the tv episode that he was in like he's got he's got a certain age, he's got a certain weight, and right. you know Benedict Cumberbatch has a great voice. Yeah, but he's just too young. It's also you know, and I can't tell. Like my biggest complaint with him is like I thought that he was the worst part of the movie, and that's unfortunate because like he's I, a good actor. He's a very good actor, and I think that he tried really hard with this role. And I and I'm yeah. sorry that like it kind of comes down to me being like I fucking hated you in this movie, man. I really did, and I hated everything about him in this movie. Um, yeah. And I would have loved for him to be part of the Star Trek universe as Cybok. Like honestly, yeah. when they told me that they had cast him, I was like, holy shit, they're gonna do Spock's crazy brother. Like this is gonna Yay. be the greatest. And of course, it was the worst. Yes. Um, but I mean, it's just like, if you want to do some interesting casting, like if you want to fucking stunt cast that shit, 
you have a lot of options for that role. You could have gone really far out. You could have cast like, you could have cast like a Chinese lady. You could have cast Archie Punjabi. You could have cast a lot of different people because Khan is not necessarily like a gendered name. And even if it is, fuck that noise. Like what year is it in the future? Who cares? Seriously. Um, you could have you could have done anything and there's so many and it's not even like when you you know like dial back the wayback machine 30 years where you really struggled to find an actor that would carry that who is a minority like those people exist now yeah in american culture like fuck you could have hired jet lee who would have been a terrible actor <laughs> still carried off like the action scenes and also the menace and checked a lot of boxes for me in terms of like what you need someone to be for con. And they yeah. didn't, they went with like Sherlock. Yeah. It just made me really angry. Yeah. Well, and I think that another part of what made me really angry was the, the, the dissembling and the saying, Oh no. It's not. Well, and this, but, which, which links to something different, which I also want to get into. Um, but I think we should definitely come back to the whitewashing thing because it's important. But one of the things that drives me absolutely up the fucking wall about JJ Abrams and Joss Whedon and that whole kind of auteur, uh, you know, uh, writers and, and, uh, director set is this kind of maniacal secrecy that they have about their scripts. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can get, can get fined you can get fired you can like so many things like where they won't release just the basic details about a movie until it comes out because they don't want to ruin it and it's like if your movie hinges this much on people not knowing what's happened with what's going to happen then you have a shitty movie like i'm sorry i have to disagree with you on that one i completely understand the maniacal secrecy I was about to say we can we can certainly have that discussion because I feel very strongly about this. See, like the thing is, I don't have strong feelings about it. I just feel like I completely understand that point of view. Like yeah, that's where I stand as well. I just, but, I mean, I would I would have no like if I had the option of being like a lunatic and like completely locking shit down, not letting anyone know what's going to happen in like one of my stories until like I'm fully ready for you to do it. I would, and I do because like I'm not like I'm not going around spoiling shit for people like when I'm writing something. Yeah, but I. Can- that that I think that that speaks to and I'm not saying this to you personally but I I think that that speaks to weakness in writing when people are like no 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 you can't you can't know anything um because it's like well okay but if you if if knowing the ending spoils the movie then it's a bad movie I disagree with that no I mean but there's an extra dimension to enjoying it for the first time and you it doesn't have to make the movie but you can certainly see not wanting to lose that extra kick I, no, I really can't, actually. I, I cannot see that at all. Because, I mean, th- this is, and this is the prime example for it, um, for me, because not knowing, or knowing what was going to happen in this movie, if, if I had come into this movie thinking, oh, yeah, J.J. Abrams was absolutely right, this isn't con, did you, that would have been a fucking gut punch to me. And I would have spent, you know, half an hour not even paying attention to the screen, being like, what the hell? You know, and at least... With this movie, I was, I, I knew it was going to happen. I was prepared for it. I was totally like, I was like, okay, let's just make this happen. No, I understand your point of view in this specific incident, but I think that that's like a fallacious argument, right? Like, mm. because if like, for example, the con situation is like a negative thing. We're like, yeah. oh, fuck that. Like, that's bullshit. Like, I don't believe this. I don't like it. And you would brace yourself for that in the movie. Take it yeah. from the other point of view. What if it had been something fucking awesome? 
Like, so good. Completely goddamn amazing. Like, let, oh, the thing that I didn't anticipate that was in this movie, Leonard Nimoy was in it. Totally mm-hmm. didn't know that was coming. Like, it was great. Like, when he showed up on that view screen, my entire theater went bonkers. Like, we were all yeah. super psyched. And I feel like had I known that going into it, like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have, like, been like, oh, I don't enjoy this now because I knew it in advance. But it would have lessened the sort of, like, moment of pure delight of being surprised. Um, and, I mean, whether or not, like, you buy into that, like, as a creator is, like, all right, that's, like, a very personal preference. But I don't think it's a sign that – I don't think it's a sign of weak writing. And I don't think it's a sign of someone knowing that they're a weak writer and that that's, like, some sort of defense mechanism. I just think that that's, like, one of those things that people – either do or do not care about and i care about like not having people this is why i hate warnings on stuff like i don't like tagging warnings because i feel like it's gonna ruin my fucking story yeah well uh, i mean i think that this is one of those things where we're gonna have to just agree to disagree because i feel very strongly about this because like okay for an example i saw the usual suspects i saw the first 10 the last 10 minutes of the usual suspects before I saw any of the other, uh, the rest of the movie. Are you honestly going to argue what? that didn't, like, fuck up the experience? Well, the it point didn't, is to guess. It didn't fuck it up at all. Oh, it was still amazing. The point is to figure it out as you're watching it. No. And you feel really I, great if you get it right. I completely disagree. Knowing what had happened, I, what happened right, I went in that movie for the first time made it amazing. And it was so interesting to watch. No, no it is. I'm, I'm it was. You have no idea. The whole point is to wonder and think about it. No, disagree. No, have to agree. All right, let's move on. This is not going to get us anywhere. Because I and I are like very firmly in one camp because we're right. Um, no, no <laughs> sorry. What, okay, aside from, aside from like Carol Marcus, aside from, God. <laughs> oh, can we talk about the fact that, to say that Spock gets pissed off at Khan at that point, even though literally Kirk dying was not even remotely Khan's fault? Like, yeah, that, that was weirdly no emulated. <laughs> yeah, the warp core is like, it just, you know, magically, because they went for the whole Genesis plot, or I guess for people who haven't seen the original, Khan gets his hands on a thing, and it kills the ship, and Spock goes to fix it. That's why Spock dies in the original yeah. Khan. But that doesn't happen at all in this movie. I was so. about to say, in this movie, it was like General Marcus who like sabotaged the Enterprise. Right. Shoots up the ship, yeah. And so and so then like <laughs> Spock goes and like fucks up. And I was sitting there going, but I, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, what? I, he's an asshole, but I think he yeah. just like sat on the wrong guy this time. And like part of, I think, what made Wrath of Khan, the first one, really powerful, especially for Kirk Spock fans, and I'm not one, so I'm neutral in this, um, was that you had the gravitas of they'd had like all these series together and a movie and they had such a long relationship and so it was you know so painful for them when Spock picks it and that's why Kirk is screaming but in this one like they, they don't like each other yet right they've just been bickering and okay Spock was a great moral center but they've known each other for like a year and so it just felt like <laughs> you know I, I have the, the answer for you. Yeah. So bond, obviously. I hate you. What did you what did you say? I didn't, I didn't hear you. you at all. She said something about a soul bond, which is why I responded, I hate you. Oh, oh that thing. Okay, first yeah, of all, that is like so <laughs> You can't call on over me for this. That was that was McCoy. That's true in the original. Oh god, let's not even get into the original oh, weirdness okay. of that. Yeah, let's wait, not. Wait, well, wait, since you said soul bond, I felt obligated to chip in. This is getting out of hand. 
This podcast is the worst. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, guys. We learned it from watching you, Em. We learned it from watching you. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was, it was a really odd scene where, like, I went to the movie with Marilyn, and she was crying like a baby, like, next to me as this scene was going down. And I was sitting on one side was Marilyn. And on the other, other side of me was this like dude, bro <laughs> sleep for the first half of the movie. <laughs> then woke up and then started weeping. Profusely. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I can't tell if I'm not crying because the sheer absurdity of this seating arrangement or like, I just don't think Spock likes him that much at this point. <laughs> I don't really buy it. Like, he didn't cry when his mom died. Like, I don't really think he likes you more than his mom, Jim Kirk. Like, it's definitely not right now. I was about to say, I think there's a real good reason why almost all of the good uh, Star Trek reboot fic that that I've read um, has, you know, Kirk, if if it's a Spot Kirk story, like, Kirk only gets to touch Spot's penis, like, maybe three or four years into the mission. Like, it takes a long time. Yeah. And they're not at that point yeah. yet. No. Like, they need, like, Jim Kirk needs that deep space exploration mission, right? Like, yeah. he needs that guy to be trapped on a space boat with him for, like, five fucking years before the Stockholm Syndrome sets in. Exactly. And, like, and he can touch his, like, magic Vulcan penis. Like, the... And well, McCoy's just representing here. McCoy's. Like, I totally, I'm totally okay with either. But, like, it just doesn't... Yeah. I mean, and here's, I mean, to, to, to his credit, Chris Pine clearly took a lot of acting lessons between the <laughs> and, and this, no, ser- like, seriously, he's actually quite good now. I was like, oh, A plus. You go, princess. Um, so, like, like, he, he sold it as much as he could. Zachary Quinto sold it as much as he could. Like, they did a really good job with the material that they had. The problem was the material that they had. Yeah. 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 Although in terms of like, all right, so that was all the stuff we were angry about. What did we really enjoy? I think that I and I both like loved the shit out of the opening bones. Oh, that was the best thing I've ever seen. I was feeling myself laughing. Yeah. I'm really sorry to say this, but I do have one thing that I do want to bitch about real quick. Sure. We'll see how quick this is. The very, well, the very opening scene with John Harrison and the family, the family that's never named. Oh, yeah. I found that whole that whole kind of dialogueless section to be really kind of not dumb but very man painy. Like the 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 father who sacrifices himself, like never apparently even talks to his wife about it. Um, it's all very I don't know. It, it, it's all very pointless. I don't know. I I feel like that they could have done that in a much more interesting and meaningful way, but. I don't know. I, I really hated it. I so. thought that that was probably one of the most emotionally powerful parts of the movie. Really? Uh, yeah. And I loved that it was dialogueless. And I loved that it was... It, nothing about that scene was like... I don't think that that scene came off as man-painy for me. That scene came off as like the sort of pathological desperation that you have as a parent. Like, how... Fun- the father, though. Like, yeah, that's, I, I liked it. Like, it was like the I only emotionally it. genuine scene in the whole freaking movie. Yeah, like, who? how fucked up is, like, it doesn't matter if you're a father, if you're, like, a mother. You, he went to the father because the father had access to Starfleet. Like, yeah, right. he could have flipped it so that, like, the mom was the one who had access to Starfleet. But I don't think it would have changed that scene at all because, like, how fucked up and, like, desperate and crazy do you have to be to be willing to do this? 
And it's because you're watching your kid die by degrees. And I feel like all the acting in those scenes was really lovely because you were able to completely portray that without any dialogue. Yeah, I'm with Prue on this. I thought it was See, wonderful. But the, I was about to say, but the thing is, is that, like, I have experience with children who are dying of, you know, leukemia and things like that. Like, that, that, that kind of thing is cheap. Like, frankly, it, was, it really insulted me because it's like, you know, sure, yeah, there are parents, like, out there who are that desperate and it's really, you know, sad. But unfortunately, there's no John Harrison in real life. And for me to kind of watch that and just be like, you know what, there are actual parents out there who do feel this desperate and, you know. But I mean, like, I'm, 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 it's, it's not horrible. a miracle cure because it's horrible that John Harrison exists. Like, it's not a good thing. He shouldn't, well, yeah, I mean, we could go into the philo philosophical parts of that, too, but, like, I, I don't really understand, like, what, I understand, like, your objections to that and how, like, it's yeah. cheap, but, like, I, I didn't think it was cheap, and I feel like, of course it's horrible, and of course it plays on people's hearts, and of course it's awful to parents who have kids who are dying, but, like, the reason it works is because it's horrible, and the reason it works is because people who are watching this, and if they have family members in that situation, are probably sitting there thinking, like, I would probably do the same fucking thing if right. I could save and I, yeah, I don't think it's cheap, because it costs you how many Starfleet lives, and how many ships, like, what is it, and how much destruction, that, that's you. really fucking expensive. Like, I would be, I, like, if I did something like that, and I can't say that I wouldn't, like, I'd be waiting for, like, the speedboat to hell, right? Like, I would hate myself every single second of it, but I wouldn't stop myself from doing it. I thought it was really well done i can see why you would dislike it but another agree to disagree moment <laughs> no problem um now we can talk about the stuff that we loved which there was a lot of stuff that we loved there was like a lot of yes. stuff in this movie that i really enjoyed and aya right Open yes scene. Tons. opening scene was great so um good. i i really love well because i'm a giant mccoy fan i love Carl urban in this i thought some of his lines were really stupid but that's not his fault it's no. writer's fault <laughs> like his lines were like what who the hell wrote this for you? But yeah, I loved it. I love the the legendary hands of Paul Marcus. I'm waiting for the thick on that. <laughs> I love how she literally just did not seem to hear him like at all. <laughs> I think her mic was turned off the entire time. Oh, she just wasn't buying what he was trying desperately to sell. <laughs> Good. Sorry, Carol. You know. Oh. But yeah, and actually, I, I really, like, we, we can talk about the thankless job that Alice Eve had, but I actually really liked Carol Marcus. Um, I thought that she was, um, she was really very driven, and she reminded me a lot of friends that I have who were kind of like, you know, I, I just, like, so enthusiastic and so kind of uh, barreling ahead without really thinking about what she's doing. <laughs> I, um, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I've, real, I've seen a lot of commentary post-movie where people were like, I really hated Carol Marcus. She was such a throwaway character, like, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I didn't get that at all. Like, yeah. I thought that she was really courageous. Mm -hmm. in that she like yeah. she thought that there was something wrong like she and it's not just that she thought there was something wrong she thought her father was doing something wrong yeah. she stole away onto the ship she put herself in grave danger and she like went toe-to-toe -to -toe with her dad and tried to like really did everything she could to do the right thing and I thought that that was like a lovely character yeah but I mean right. if she hadn't existed the you know everything would have gone to shit like they would have all died and i mean that i think that she comes from disadvantage in the sense that like people aren't gonna like her because they set her up as a potential love interest for kirk and well, not even potential like in in the, the canon of the in story. the original yeah they have a She's kid and everything child right and then what? they also I mean, yeah jesus carol marcus remember yeah. no i i don't remember that 
but also I just found her really bland and boring. I was like, she could be exciting, but I have zero interest in this lady. And it's like, through no fault of the actress. What could she have done that would have made her more exciting? I don't think it's her fault. I think it was the writing. Like, you see, like, yeah, she does all of these things that you guys have talked about, and it's courageous, and it's interesting, and she is barely ever on screen, and when she is, I was like, zero interest. Huh. I had no affection for her at all. So if you wrote a reboot of the movie, what would you have her do? I don't know. She wouldn't write it. No, I'd have her in it, but I would have her, I don't know, talk more or something. Like, she was just like, hi, I do science. And then she was like, hi, these are people. And then she was like, dad, don't shoot me. And then it's basically over. And you're like, well, that was great. Thanks. (laughs) See, and I don't know, because I really like, like, because her first scene was like her getting the bitch face from hell from Spock. (laughs) That was so beautiful to me. That was the only scene I liked her in. I was about to say, like, I literally watched that and I was like, you know what, Spock, you, you can, you can dissemble all you want, but yeah, <laughs> you super won in that boy's pants. <laughs> he was displaying multiple attitudes simultaneously. Oh my them. God. <laughs> no, it was great because yeah, Spock's I like, like, I do the science. I was about to say, some of the dialogue was off, but like, oh, the God. dialogue between Spock and Kirk was like, perfect. It was amazing. Well, that's because they knew how to write that dialogue. That's <laughs> Yeah, and that, I mean, the, the whole exchange between Kirk and Spock when, when Kirk was like, you know, I really am going to miss you. There's <laughs> oh a beat. And, then there's a, and Kirk realizes he's just never going to get anything from this I know. Guy. <laughs> like Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine sold that scene. I had to, like, muffle myself into a sweater. I was, like, honking laughing. I was about to say, well, I think, I think it's basically because that was actually not Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto acting. That was Chris Pine being like, hey, bro. Yeah, yeah. Zachary Quinto being like, no. I'm with you on that. (laughs) Uh, Other things that I really enjoyed in this movie, like, I obviously loved that. I still loved Admiral Pike. Like, I love him forever. I love him for all time. (laughs) Didn't didn't love his sideburns, but loved him. I did not love the sideburns. And he also was extremely orange in this movie. Did everybody (laughs) love him? Yeah. He was real orange. (laughs) Something was happening. So. In Winchester season eight, beginning orange, like something <laughs> happened. Like, why does everything come back to supernatural? Because it was the same weird orange skin color that I was just like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" Uh, I think they just forgot to adjust the color balance in that because they paint them orange every season of Supernatural and then make everything gray, right? I don't know, but like in oh, terms I no of this idea. movie, I have no idea what happened because like Chris Pine was a normal color. It was just. It was and Chris Pine is hard to make normal colored, so. And it's just Bruce Greenwood who was like, what happened to your face? <laughs> on, I'm really curious. Why is Chris Pine hard to make normal colored? I did not know this. He's very blotchy. And he's got, like, terrible skin. Yeah. He's on some crazy medicine now for it. I like how you guys all know this. I don't know this. Lovergus knows be, this because she, like, wants to teachers. touch his hair at night when he's sleeping. <laughs> not his hair, but yes. Oh, oh. God. What? That just got really dupe-con. Like, not even dupe-con, non-con. We can go into the whole Zachary Quinto thing if you really want to go there. We can go there. I have no shame about Zachary Quinto because he has flawless skin. But you should. (laughs) I have no thoughts on any of this one way or another. This is great. (laughs) Oh, terrible. Well, I was about to say, I I have enough blackmail material on crew, so. For all time. Oh, yeah, so do I. Who else did I look? Scotty was wonderful in this. Keenzer, Keenzer was wonderful. Keenzer was wonderful. Horrible. Talk about the fantastic 
um, sort of like could be read as a threesome, but like the fantastic pattern between Uhura, Spock, and Kirk in this movie. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, we haven't talked about Uhura at all. And sure. I need to. Because, um, I mean, the, the problem is that like what people were worried about in the first movie, which was that she would become the love interest, kind of did happen in this movie. Like her biggest story was with spock and the argument that they were having except but the thing is awesome. that it's a valid argument oh yeah you know and it was a really like you know it, it's really too bad that amanda died in that first movie because she probably would have been able to help uhura a lot <laughs> with uh, with this particular problem and instead she has um, to take but yeah that's to in the shuttle. sorry what wait and what did you say? I said instead of when, or what's her face, she has to take that problem to Kirk, which is like really unfortunate. Like you could take it to Spock's mom, but she's not there anymore. So Kirk, mistake. Yeah, I was about to say that moment in the in the turbo lift where like Uhura cracks, and then she, you can see the realization on her face of I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> like I regret this decision immediately. <laughs> and then she just like moonwalks out of there. I was just like, yes, Uhura, that was a bad idea. Like, yeah. 
And um, that scene would have been so much more interesting if they had, like, if she had gone halfway toward bartering some sort of understanding with the Klingons. Like, if they had sort of been like, wait, there's something shady going on. And then John Harrison had bust in. Yeah. Because then you could, like, that's a thread that you could carry into the Klingon Wars. Like, yeah, exactly. That, like, Starfleet had come and attempted to, like, make a connection. And, like, we spoke with this woman, Nyoto Hora, and, like, it didn't work out because some crazy white person started blowing us up. But, like, yeah. I don't know. It was it was an oddly played moment. Like, I really liked it, but you're right. Like, the fact that it didn't come to conclusion is part of the problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I, like, unfortunately, I have only seen this movie once, and so I'm I'm struggling to even remember. But I think, like, doesn't the, the lead cling on, like, try to strangle her? Yes. For no particular reason. You know, it just kind of happens. Oh, and no, it just not very Well, yeah. Well, I was about to say, like, yeah. I, I Watching DS9, Dax gets strangled, like, 50 times, but she <laughs> yeah, tends to she enjoy it. Oh, so it's fine. Yeah, she enjoys it. I was going to say. that. I mean, she marries a Klingon, so it's whatever. Um, but, um, but yeah. But I'll, I would like to say that I did love the look of the Klingons in this movie, because... Klingons in Star Trek have always been a bit of a problem in terms of they're not consistently, um, <laughs> prosthetic. yeah, prosthetic guys. I mean, first they were supposed to be Russians, basically. Um, <laughs> and then they kind of, you know, they, they kind of transformed into kind of this like more Spartan type. Yeah, of I thought they were meant to be Japan, actually, but. Yeah, well, I was about to say in, in The Next Generation, that was very much kind of the aesthetic. Um, and now they're kind of some sort of weird combination of the two, but it really worked. Like they looked great. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was super excited to see them. Cause like the Klingons I'm, I'm definitely there for. So. Okay. Oh, was- hey, as I have a question for you, since you might know, this is off topic. I was wondering why the fuck is there so much fog in Klingon ships? Is there so much fog? Yeah. If you watch this not every no, time they're in yeah. Klingons, there's like a pink fog over everything. I think it's basically because they were like, we have some cheap fucking ass shit sets. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's yeah. let's get some dry ice up in this bitch. <laughs> okay, I was hoping there was like a real reason, but yeah, that's probably the truth. I was about to say, like, no, never never ascribe to actual logic what can be, uh, you know, ascribed to actual just low budget. <laughs> that's true. Look, Star Trek was Star Trek and Star Trek Next Generation were made with like fifty bucks that they found in some couch cushions. So <laughs> it's true, but DS Nine was slightly, slightly nicer, slightly, slightly nicer, but not any better, not much better funded. So it's true. Yeah, I actually know. I know a guy who was on the production uh, team for Star Trek: The Next Generation and Star Trek: DS Nine. Uh-huh. And yeah, he would be like, "Yeah, we would get stuff from our house and like paint <laughs> it because we wow. had money." <laughs> it was like nice, classy. Home locks, woo! Yeah, basically. So anyway, sorry. Off right. Topic. Sorry. Sorry. I was gonna say it's a question. I'm sure we were all like really wanting to answer. It's true. I think we've reached the point in our podcast where we want to do recommendations. Um, my first recommendation is give the movie a chance, if only so that you can be part of the dialogue of, like, why certain things sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible reason. You know what? I, you should see it because you'll have a really good time, and then afterwards you can be angry. That's, That's true. Yeah, the, the, thing that, the thing about this movie is that it's a great ride. Yes, like, it's yes. one of those ride movies where, like, you get in at the beginning, go through, and it's very, I mean, they're very good at immersing you in the world. Like, J.J. Abrams is second to none with that. Um, and, yeah, and you'll enjoy yourself while you're watching. He's second to Spielberg. 
Okay, yes. <laughs> Second to Spielberg. So, okay, sweetie. Poor lies are you telling? <laughs> it's an expression, Jesus Christ. I don't even like Spielberg, so. Continue. Yeah, me neither. So I'm like, whatever. Yes. Wow. People are okay. Continue. No, that was all. Oh, that was your point. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I. Yes, I agree. I think it was a really, really fun ride, but I also agree with MK where, like, you're going to really enjoy it, and then you're going to come out of this movie, and then you're going to throw off. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) What just happened to my face in that film? It's like it. It's like a con man movie, right? Except that it cons you into thinking you liked it. Yeah, and then three weeks later, you're like, where's all my money? Where'd it go? I'm poor. Where'd my feelings go? Yeah. All right, so we've reached a section of, um, wait, we already did that part. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's peed, so now. <laughs> All right, so now that we've finally had our, like, uh, every episode, my potty break, um, <laughs> we've hit racks. Um, as our first timer, I, you get to go first. I do? Yeah. Okay, Sure. So, my first rec is a Kirk McCoy story called Aftershocks. It's by Katie Stipahari. So, it's an alternate universe, and the idea is that Jim Kirk does not go to join Starfleet, and he stays around in Iowa and bums around, and one day as he's bumming around, he runs into this crazy eye stranger named McCoy, and they bond, and shenanigans ensue, and what's really great about the story is that I think Kirk and McCoy, something that I really enjoy about them is how much they both really need Starfleet. Like, Jim is so directionless before, and McCoy has self-avowedly lost everything before he joined up. So this is what happens if neither of them joins up, what becomes of their lives, and how does this work together. And I'm not going to spoil you, but... You know, this ties in a lot of stuff actually with the with the reboot movie as well as the original series. Oh. So a lot of alternate universe stuff actually gets brought in at the end, but it's really well done. It's super sweet. I like my pairings very slightly codependent. And <laughs> yeah, but this is also really sweet and romantic and totally delivers. And that's why I really love Aftershocks. Okay, second fic rec is a crack fic. It's called Friendship is Magic, Bitch. The author is... 8611 is her handle on AO3. And this is basically a My Little Ponies AU. And yes, they are ponies. And it's really cute. It is totally Jen. There's no horse fucking. Thank it's God. great. Yes. Because she sent me the story and I told her it work. <laughs> <laughs> and my third wreck is a pony story wreck. It's called Just Can't Get Enough. It's by Silverlining99. And this one, I don't really have to describe because the title tells you all you need to know. And it is really hot. So have a good time. Enjoy. I'll be in my bunk. (laughs) Yes, be in your bunk. Oh, good, good. The end. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. Success. A plus. Uh, for For the listeners who are like, fucking friendship is magic. In case you're wondering, yes, they are ponies in that story. Good. Good. And I read it while I was at work this week. Uh, I think you just earned yourself the subtitle of Horsefucker, so congratulations. <laughs> no! 
there's very subtle. No, there's no sex. It's very, very, it's it's very true. It does not matter. Prue has the title of swan fucker, and now we're carrying on the tradition. There's Wait, no swan fucker? Yeah. Yeah, uh, she Because does. of my strong love of the Regent Park regular. Oh, God, that thick. Right, let's the, move on. The greatest story about swans and ducks falling in love of all time. Okay. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, I hate you, too. I'm not a horse fucker. Okay. My recommendation um, is... Wait, wait, what is that sound? Hang on, it's my... Someone's mowing the lawn. Hang on a sec. Suburbia. I was gonna say a lawn. When was the last time you knew someone who had a lawn? I'm gonna mute myself while I listen. Like, you don't have to listen to this thing. So I'm going muted now. Tell me if you want me to unmute. Okay. So my recommendation is for a story called What Part of Forever by Feels Like Fire. Um, at its most basic, it is a reboot track, Pretty Woman AU. But in reality, it's a much, much bigger story than that. Um, basically, Spock has come with his father, Sarek, to Earth and Federation headquarters in San Francisco because there's some major political moves going on. And Vulcan is considering seceding from the Federation. And as that is something that he's considering, as that is something that he has weighing on his mind, um, he is kind of mulling, wanting to really get to know what his human half is actually like. So he goes to the hotel, he talks to the concierge about hiring a tour guide, essentially, into humanity. And the concierge, being like a deeply shady guy, misinterprets Spock's request for a human professional um, to show him some guidance as asking for a hooker. And of course, that's how he meets Jim Kirk who is basically selling himself and going to UCLA at the same time. This is not a short story. It's hugely long. It's very, very plotty. And it's one of the most, it's like one of the meatiest, most plotty, most interesting, most romantic stories that I've read in Trek fandom in years. Um, I highly recommend it. It was really fun. It was also really funny. Um, yeah, it just made me really love these characters. I sat down like thinking hooker fic, which I always love. And then came out of it thinking politics, true love. (laughs) That's very you. I know. I can't hold myself. (laughs) Excellent. Gus? Um, okay. I have, uh, two recs. Um, one is, um, Mockingbird by Waldorf. Um, and it's the story that I, I tend to try desperately to befriend the, uh, authors of fics that I really love. And this was the one that made me kind of stalk Waldorf until I tricked her into becoming my friend. Um, it's the story of number one, who is a character who's not in the reboot series, but, uh, in the original show was, um, Pike's first officer. And she's this very um, kind of uh, she was she was kind of the prototype for what Vulcans were mm-hmm. uh, on the in the original show. But in this story, you get to kind of uh, it's incredibly complicated. It actually talks about number one's home world um, and all of these really intricate political things and the reason why she's called number one. And it's really beautiful and incredibly sad and just a great way to kind of immerse yourself into what it would actually mean to live in a world like the the world of Star Trek, um, basically. And uh, it's just, it's one of my favorite stories and I read it quite a bit. So excellent. Yeah. And then the other one that I have is graduate Vulcan for fun and profit by Lazuli song. And um, this is one of the, Many, many, many uh, stories that touch on the fact that Jim Kirk uh, in the reboot 
also ends up on Tarsus. And Tarsus is a whole thing from the original series. But um, basically, it's about him uh, becoming friends with this uh, elderly Vulcan um, Vulcan and um, kind of somebody who he can't trick into thinking he's dumb. <laughs> and, and it's really beautiful to read because one of the things that you know about Jim Kirk from the reboot is this kind of lack of father figure and you get to see what kind of person he would be with some kind of father figure and with some kind of steadying influence mm-hmm. or whatever um and of course Spock does show up uh Uhura shows up um it's a wonderful story it's incredibly sad and incredibly funny uh, <laughs> and uh and it's it's another one of those stories where I was just like I must know who this person is so those are my two wrecks Excellent. All right, so I have one wreck, and it's weirdly topical. Um, it's called How We Are But Not Not How We're Going to Be by Alpha Hydra. Um, and it's a Star Trek story that assumes that this movie never happened, like only the first one happened. Okay, good. And they get <laughs> sent out immediately on, like, a five-year mission, and, like, a month into the mission, Spock is like, this is the worst. We can't work together. Like, we are shit at this. <laughs> Um, because no matter what happens, like, they'll walk into a room and they'll have the best intentions and then Kirk and Spock just start, like, arguing and being terrible and they're just, like, garbage at interacting in any way. Um, and Kirk, like, just gets angry and, like, keeps storming off or, like, like, it's bad. And (laughs) both of them separately go to Bones and are like, seriously, it's really bad. Like, we, we can't be on the bridge at the same time. Like, it's a disaster. And Bones is like, solution... I'm going to send you for marriage counseling with the ship's counselor. I'm assuming he's doing this just to troll him. It's really hard to tell because the story is from Spock's point of view. Oh, God. <laughs> and well, it's amazing and terrible, right? Like, obviously, it all goes wrong really fast before it gets better. Um, yeah. And eventually, they get together, and it's fantastic. But, like, for a while, it's just, like, a hilarious shit show. Hey, yeah. And I think that does it for this week. Um... Thank you, Aya and Lepicus, for hanging out with us. Our pleasure. Well, my pleasure. I'm not sure about Aya. (laughs) No, I had a great time. Uh, Yeah, no, I wanted to make sure that, like, somebody here would fight the good fight for Kirk McCoy. So I dragged her on with us. It's for the best. That was a good decision. Indeed. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We will catch you next week. And um, thanks for being on the podcast, guys. Bye. 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 Did you wake up and realize that your virginity had grown back? I was going to say, pretty much. Oh, hold on. I'm going to see if my tea has steeped before we start, because otherwise it's going to sound like we're peeing on the podcast again. Which I do anyways, so it hardly matters. And then Lapagus is Gus, because I hate your username. It's so weird in my mouth. One of these days, I, I feel like you're going to get mad about something, M, and you're going to just like... Cut. You're gonna do some sort of super good. It's gonna be really trash. No episode this week, just five minutes of pro peeing. <laughs>